Um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here today with you guys. We both are, but he doesn't have the microphone. We were actually joking around like, what? We only, we only, we have to share one microphone. How are we going to do this? Cause we're both, well, we're all intense people, I think. <laughs> and Pete and I like to talk a lot and sometimes we talk over each other. So this will be a good accountability for us to have to share one microphone. So, um, like pastor Aaron said, we have six children. Um, we basically got married and got pregnant two months later, started having babies. Um, so our oldest son is 16. His name is Aiden. And then we have a daughter who's 15. Her name is Luciana. And then we have two middle schoolers. Jude is in seventh grade and our daughter, Naomi is in sixth. And then we have two kids in elementary school. Coraline is in fourth grade and Samara, the little, you know, joyous one of the bunch. She's in second grade and she still feels like our baby, but she's, she's, se she's seven now, so we have to let her grow up a little bit. But um, Pete and I, we both grew up in Northern California. Anybody from Northern California? <laughs> no? Oh, well, of course. <laughs> um, so we both grew up in different parts of Northern California and at different times. Um, he came a few years earlier. We both felt led for different reasons to go up to Vancouver, Washington. So sometimes when we say we're from Vancouver, people think Canada. Um, it's not. It's the state of Washington, and it is right across the river from Portland, Oregon. Anybody know where Portland, Oregon at? Okay. So yeah. So we both went up there and uh, like Pastor Aaron was saying, Pete was a part of the church plant at City Harvest, and that was where we met. And uh, it's truly God that brought us together because um, we both um, had major trust issues with people, and we actually bonded over our trust issues. Um, so one afternoon in the lobby after church, I you know walk over to him, and he's with a group of people in He's saying how um, he has trust issues with people, and he tests them, and he'll sometimes share things with them that he hasn't shared with anybody else to see if it gets around. And you know how, like, in movies, like, when it's, like, the heart eyes or, you know, whatever, and I was just like, oh, this is somebody I could get along with. <laughs> um, but thank goodness that Jesus has worked on our hearts and softened us a little bit over the years. And um, I will probably just cry. I'm letting you know. I used to be a very hard person, very shut down emotionally, and just, you know, lots of walls up. But um, Jesus didn't want it that way. And so if I cry, don't feel sorry for me. It's not like that kind of crying. Um, just a lot of times when I'm sharing, I get a sense of what God wants to do and how much he loves the people I'm speaking to. So I don't have to know you, but I already have this deep love for you. So you guys cool with crying? Is that okay? You're not going to feel uncomfortable? Okay, cool. Well, I wanted Tamar to introduce. We were trying to decide who's going to say what parts, but I can never remember our kids' ages or their uh, what grades they're in. I just know there's six of them, and I know them by their number. Um, we actually, uh, we were supposed to come, there's a group of uh, different, uh, our lead pastor, Bob and Sue McGregor, and then also several of the other pastors that have been sent out from City Harvest to plant churches, or like uh, Aaron and Shannon, to come here. Uh, they all came, was it February? And so we were actually supposed to come, and uh, the church got us, the City Harvest got us tickets to come, but we just did not feel like um, we were supposed to, and uh, we just didn't feel like Holy Spirit wanted us to come at that time, and uh, we're actually really glad we didn't. 
because um, this time we got to hang out with just them and didn't have to share everybody with, you know, the whole team and stuff like that. But uh, we really feel that God, um, we feel like we're supposed to be here right now. And, uh, you know, our heart was really praying, God, what do you want to say? And something that we're very big on is we only want to do, I was praying this over the two of them uh, this morning, but we only want to do what Holy Spirit wants us to do, and we only want to say what Holy Spirit wants us to say. And so sometimes that can look a little disorganized. Sometimes it can take a little more time. Um, So if you uh, take out your notes, and... um, there is, in there, uh, it shows the, the message title with a whole bunch of notes written out uh, that they printed out for you because we were so planned. Uh, it says the dreamer, and uh, originally we, we felt like we were supposed to talk on surrender, and then um, last Sunday in the, during the message, I just felt like God said, no, you're supposed to talk on a dreamer, and kind of, and then towards the end of the message, saw the correlation of the two uh, coming together. And actually, that's all we really knew, um, at least for myself. Tamar had a couple things she felt like she was supposed to share. And it wasn't until this morning I drove into town. Uh, I like bitter coffee. Any of you guys like bitter coffee? Most coffee places, you know, it's a little more darker. The, the roast is a little longer. But I like the bitter stuff where all the caffeine and all the oils are stuck still inside the bean. It's the kind that if you have more than eight ounces, it gives you like a stomach ache and you get cramps. Anybody? Does that sound enjoyable? If you've never done it, try it. It's a lot of fun. So I drove into town, um, and as I was driving, just worshiping and praying, and felt like God gave uh, me a couple other things to share. Uh, But if you turn to the back, we're going to read out of the the story, The Life of Joseph, uh, which many of you know was a dreamer. Uh, But there's there's four things there that are kind of discussion points, but they're not just discussion points for a small group. To me, they're things for you to have in your mind as we go through this. One, what dreams, promises, or words has God given you about your life that you have not seen to come, uh, you have not seen come to pass yet? And so I'm sure there's things in your life, whether from your childhood or somewhere, where you had a thought, you had a dream, you had a vision, you had an idea, and you thought it was going to go a certain way, and you haven't seen it um, come to pass yet in that way. The second one, how have you responded in the waiting for the fulfillment of those dreams, promises, or words? So there can be those things, but then there can be how are we responding to it? In each one of us, we have different personalities. We have different ways of reacting um, when things don't go our way. Um, how many of you guys throw fits? Okay, you still throw your temper tantrums and stuff like that. Uh, so we can react in different ways. But how are we reacting? Are we holding on to it? Do we get discouraged and run away from it? And so just kind of think through that today. Uh, the third one, what does surrender look like to you? When you think of surrender, is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? Does it, does it look like uh, being controlled? Does it look like hurt? Or does it look like freedom? And does it look like joy? Does it look like peace? And kind of thinking through that. And the last one, what area of your life or circumstances is the Holy Spirit wanting you to surrender? None of us want to answer that one, okay? No, but God wants us to. And I believe today that Holy Spirit is going to speak to every single person in this room. He has you here for a reason. It's not by accident that you showed up. 
And therefore, Holy Spirit's going to speak to each one of us and show us something that he wants us to surrender to him, that he wants us to bring to the altar. And so in the life of Joseph, um, Joseph had dreams. Just a real quick recap. Uh, had a whole bunch of older brothers. He was more on the favorite side. Any favorite children out there? Come on, be honest. We only got one. Uh, you're all scared that the life of Joseph is going to happen to you if you raise your hand. So I get it. I get it. He was kind of a, he was like a favorite son. He has this dream and uh, possibly you could say a bit arrogant in the way he then instantly just went and told his brothers and his family how awesome he was and how awesome he was going to be by telling the dream. He could have watered it down a little bit, maybe could have waited a little while to, to share it. But through a course of events, uh, his brothers, um, he ends up being sold off and they, they fake his death and all this stuff takes place. And so now he's no longer living with his dad. He's no longer home. In his mind, he would be uh, gone forever. And he's sold into slavery, but through that, that process, he's promoted because of his attitude and because of the way he handled things. But then he gets accused of something. And so here, you know, he, he thought he was going to be great. He's in a pit. He's sold. Man, seems like it can't get worse. Uh, all of a sudden, he starts getting promoted, and then all of a sudden, he gets accused. And now he's in jail, and he's locked up. He's going to be there for a long time. He, he, he interprets some other people's dreams, and he, he, gives, he asks them one request. Don't forget about me. Don't forget that I interpreted this dream for you. What took place? They forgot. You know, that can sound like a lot of our lives. If you think back to maybe dreams or things that have happened in your life where you have those high mountaintop times, and then it just seems like it crashes down and we get discouraged. Seems like we start climbing back out. And then it seems like we, you know, we, 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 we just slide straight down. And, uh, but then Joseph has an opportunity to interpret some dreams that Pharaoh had. And God uses him. God gifts him to be able to interpret those dreams. And there's a whole thing with a famine that takes place. And God gives him wisdom in how to save up food and, and to uh, set things aside for what was going to take place so that they would be ready. And through that course of events, his family comes in need. Now, many of us would like to get even, but that's not what Joseph did. He had a heart of compassion. I believe he knew and he says it here, he knew that God had allowed those things to take place in his life. So there wasn't a bitterness, there wasn't an anger, but he saw the grace of God. So in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When now they had freaked out, they're freaking out that this is him, knowing what they had done. But his... Um, where am I at? His brothers, uh, come close to me. Uh, this is why we preach together, because I get lost, and, and so she helps me here. Um, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Man, he's, he's lifting shame off of them. He's saying, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be distressed for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Man, God was in this. What a perspective. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will, there will be no plowing and reaping. 
But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father... um, He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. And what a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture of someone who had dreams of greatness, went through destruction, had some hope, went through disappointment, and got some freedom, but didn't hold on to it for his own. But it stayed surrender, and it stayed submitted to God. One of the things that I just really felt to, to say to each of you is that you are a dreamer. And not necessarily in the way of like a personality type. We have one of our kids, our son Jude. He is a dreamer. He has an amazing imagination. So he's in seventh grade, and he's about to turn 13. And this is typical. We'll say, Jude, we want you to go, you know, you need to go finish your chore or whatever. So... Pete had somewhere to go, and he said, Jude, I want you to go mow the lawn in our backyard. And I'm in my, uh, a room that I kind of call my office, and there's windows. And I'm in there studying for something, and I hear all these noises, like, <laughs> and I, like, <laughs> look out the window. And our son Jude is out there with, like, sticks of wood, and he's sword fighting imaginary bad guys and making the sound effects to go along with it. So there are those kind of dreamers, the kind of people that just have great imaginations. Um, but I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm saying that God is a dreamer. And we are made in his image. And in our DNA as his sons and daughters is the ability to dream beyond what could be. So dreamers see things the way they are in the natural And they believe it could be different. They believe it could be better than the current circumstances. Every great thing, every great invention, um, every time where people were oppressed, and whether there was a revolution or, you know, something changed, whether it was, you know, in the laws or whatever, every um, person that we would look back in history and say, wow, what a revolutionary, or they were so heroic, they were dreamers. They were people that took a hold of that identity and saw the way that things were and said, this could be better. So dreaming is connected to God because when we do it, when we're connected to the Father, we ask him, what do you see? Because what we see in the natural is not what he sees, which is why when he gives us an identity and he says, this is how I see you, sometimes it can feel foreign to us. So there are times where God has told me, um, you are lovely, or you are my beloved, and that feels very uncomfortable to me. I would much rather be told, like, you are my warrior, princess, you know, like you're out there fighting bad guys and in the, in the spiritual, and you're taking things on. But the way God sees me, I have to pay attention to that. And so there are ways that God sees you that sometimes we're not even aware of, but he wants to call those things out in us. God has dreams that he's put inside of you in seed form when you were little. And I think it's so telling. It doesn't mean it'll always play out in the natural, okay? Because when I was little, I wanted to be all kinds of things. It wasn't just one thing, which says a lot about me too. But 
Um, one of the things I wanted to be was um, I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to marry a pastor. Um, I wanted to be a missionary. And the reason was because I wanted to be like Paul and go to people that had never heard about Jesus. And I wanted to tell them about Jesus. And I didn't care if it was hard or whatever. So I kind of had this dream about being an old maid missionary, like never getting married and like running an orphanage somewhere in Africa or something. Um, but I also like I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be uh, an artist. I also wanted to be a spy or an assassin, but then I realized that in order to be a spy, you have to lie, and I'm not very good at lying. <laughs> and to be an assassin, you have to actually be able to kill people. So um, I think that was more just, I had this thing about I wanted to be undercover in some way, shape, or form. So I want you to think about, what did you want to be when you were little? What did you want to be when you thought of yourself as an adult? And then now, I'd like you to just turn to somebody next to you and just tell them. Maybe it's one thing, maybe it's three things. Tell somebody next to you, what did you want to be when you were little? I love how God takes the things that he put in us in seed form and in some way, shape, or form. Um, if we let him and we're surrendered to those dreams, they'll come to fruition. And it might not be exactly how we thought, um, but he puts those desires and dreams in our hearts. And I think that some of us have given up on our dreams. Some of us um, maybe can't even remember a time when we were, we were dreaming, we actually had this conversation with friends from out of town staying with us. And we kind of, you know, the kids were all saying what they wanted to be when they were older. And the husband couldn't remember what he wanted to be. He was like, huh, I don't really remember. And it was later on that he told us. And that he remembered, it was like a memory, he remembered um, like basically setting up like a little stage and uh, a broom. And it was his microphone. And he would preach into it to nobody, you know, to no audience. But it was a dream that he had so buried because he didn't see any way of that happening in the natural, especially in his current church where he was currently at and, and just because of things that had happened in their lives. So what are some of those things that you maybe have fallen asleep to? Because God gives us those dreams in seed form. But like Pete was saying, through discouragement and life circumstances, even a survival mindset, I don't have time to dream. I have to deal with what's right in front of me. I think we can all be guilty of that sometimes. And there was a time in our life that I call the worst summer of our lives. Um, Pete and I were having a lot of you know, frustration already in our marriage, um, and then a lot of things intensified it. So we were in our home, and um, we, our house was getting foreclosed upon. So Pete was frantically trying to make all the phone calls, do all the paperwork to see if we could you know, get a, a different loan and... Um, he's doing that, and while he's doing that, someone comes to us and says, we have a house for you, and it's someone that we knew, and it, it was like this, you know, dream house to Pete. I, I still had a few things I'd want to fix, but, um, and they, we go to their house, we meet with their kids, and like, they just were like, you guys are the ones, we're going to give you this great deal on it, and then they called us and said, I'm sorry, actually, our, our adult children want this home, and we had actually asked them, your adult children, they don't want this home? And they said, no, they've told us they don't want it. 
So that was a blow. So we had nowhere to live. And then Pete and their family, uh, I don't know, they have skin issues. And so he had um, kind of like, they, like when they're stressed out, it manifests differently. But basically, they get like these kind of skin rashes. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay. He's fine. Um, but... <laughs> But um, it had made its way down to, like, his, his, his privates. I'm like, I don't know what we're calling it. I don't know what you guys are okay with. But um, his crotch. And um, he was miserable, okay? Um, so we have a lot of things going on. We're fighting. And it's just this intense time. And a friend of mine who's a little crazy, uh, I call her crazy, because um, she's just so radical for Jesus. And she said, Tamar, God wants you to write down your dreams, and I'm going to watch your kids for you so you can do this. And she kept telling me this. And I was like, Melody, you have no idea. You have no idea what we have going on in our lives right now. I can't dream. I, I have so much going on. I'm trying to fix this. We're trying to fix, you know, stuff going on out here, our kids. And she just was persistent. You need to write down your dreams. So she watches the kids for me. And I finally sit down, and I was frustrated. So I just started writing because I didn't know what to write. And I said, God, I'm really frustrated that in the season of just loss and wondering where you're at and when you're going to come through for us, why, you would tell me. I knew God had told her because she gets really persistent when it's something from God. And why would you tell Melody to tell me to write down my dreams? I don't even know how to dream. What does that even mean? And then I had all these questions, because I, I like direction. Like, am I supposed to write down dreams for my childhood, like being a missionary? Because, like, that didn't happen. I'm, I'm not an old maid yet. You know, I have kids, and I'm married. And am I supposed to write down frivolous things? Am I supposed to write down big things? Like, are these goals? And God just said, just start writing. And I started writing them out, things I could remember from my childhood. Um, adoption is a big one, which is weird because we have six kids. And, uh, but we just really feel like at some point, um, I almost feel like a baby will be, or it might even be a baby, it could be a child. Um, somebody will want to give us their child, like, you know, or somehow something will happen. So I wrote down adoption. Um, I wrote down all these things. One of them was for Pete. I wrote down dreams for him. He wanted to be a firefighter when he was little, and he always wanted to be a chief. I don't know how that would happen. He had tried out to become a firefighter, and actually um, he, he didn't make it at some point in the process. But I was like, I don't know how that happened. I wrote that down. I wrote down silly things like, I want a 12-passenger van because we have a lot of kids, and they want their friends to come places. And I actually even wrote, I don't want it to be white because then it'll be a church fan. <laughs> so I actually said tinted windows, like tan or gray, because then it doesn't quite look like a church fan. I wrote down things like having my parents live and my brothers live in the same town as me for a little while. And at the very end, which some of those have already happened, but I'm at the very end, um, I felt like I was like, okay, that's all I can think of. And God said, wait, I want you to write something else down. I have dreams for you that you didn't put on there yet. And I was like, what? <laughs> Fine, what, what are these things you want me to write down? And one of them was, I want you to write down uh, speaking to people, large groups of people without fear, like publicly, in public places. And I was like, no, I'm not writing that down. <laughs> that is not my dream. Um, but God said, it's my dream for you, and I put it inside of you since you were a little girl, which I remember, like our friend, being little and having a chair in front of me and having like five books stacked up and a Bible on top. 
and I would make my brother be the worship leader. He had a little ukulele, and he would be the worship leader. And my other brother was younger and not trustworthy enough, so he could just collect the tithes and offerings. <laughs> and I was the preacher. And it was like God was saying, you might not want to do that right now, right? Public speaking, it's like, I don't know, 90% of people take their you know, worst fear or whatever. But that's a dream that I have for you. So those things that are inside of you that maybe you've forgotten or fallen asleep to, the things that other people have maybe said, that's a, that's a crazy dream. God is saying today, remember that he made you to be a dreamer. So this morning um, while I was driving, I just felt uh, that Holy Spirit was giving me some things and um, I didn't have a ton of time to reread through them and I was voice having Siri because I was driving and want to obey the laws, you know what I mean? Um, but any of you guys ever re-look at like a text that you had Siri write out for you and sometimes it doesn't quite say what you wanted it to say? Um, so I put on here, a dreamer, a dreamer looks, and Tamar mentioned this, a dreamer looks beyond what is to what could be. But it's our tendency to initially interpret our dreams from the vantage point of how it benefits me, how it benefits you. Do you know what I'm saying? When we look at a dream, usually uh, when I was a kid, my, my dreams were, they would be about me being the hero, okay? It would be now, there was a heroic action taking place, but I would go a little farther beyond that and see what, like, kind of the end result, the praise being pointed towards me. When our dreams are not received or we do not see them come to pass in our way, um, in the way that we would want them to or in our time, we tend to stop dreaming because it's easier and less painful. How many times things haven't happened the way I wanted them to, and so I allow discouragement to silence me because it's too painful to deal with an unfulfilled dream than it is to no longer dream. And so I would rather, in a sense, stay awake and not dream and not have times of hearing God speak things to me than to have to go through the wonder or to have to go through the patience or to have to go through the unknown or the disappointment or whatever emotions are coming up inside of me. I'd rather just miss out on it altogether. But a surrender dreamer, a surrender dreamer knows their job is to keep their eyes open and to dream and see the possibilities by tilling the ground. You know, we, we have a role to play. We till the ground, whether it be in our lives or God uses us to till the ground in others' lives, to plant seeds, to water, but then to trust God for the growth. Only God can cause to growth. And so in the same way with a dream, it's our job to till the ground. It's our job to, to plant the seed and to water it. But we can't force the dream to grow. But just because we can't force it to grow, we don't just leave the, the, the seed on the shelf. Because if we don't till the ground and we don't ever plant the seed and we don't take care of the seed, it doesn't have an opportunity to grow. So there is a role that we play. But we then have to step back and be patient and trust God to take care of the growth. A surrendered dreamer pursues excellence in attitude and ethic regardless of the circumstances. Man, all of us have been through tough circumstances. We could, if we had time, we could sit around and all share what's taken place in our life. And we all have disappointment. We've all been neglected. We've all been accused of something that we didn't do. We've all been abandoned in some way. 
something's been stolen from us, taken from us? But do we continue pursuing excellence? Do we continue uh, uh, seeing that our attitude reflects who God is in us? A surrendered dreamer doesn't get distracted or seduced by what's not real. So looking at the life of Joseph, you know, he, he got into all those positions where his life started going up because of his ethic and because of his excellence. But he also had to be careful to not get arrogant and not be seduced or distracted by things that he could see with his eyes, but to keep his attention focused on who God said he was. A surrendered dreamer doesn't try to get even or take matters into their own hands. We saw that out of the life of Joseph. Because the, the, it's not about me being right. It's not about me being successful. It's about God's dream that he placed inside of me, it being realized, in me being the instrument. A surrendered dreamer knows the fruit of their dreams is not just for themselves, but it's for their families, their church, and their community. The dreams God has given you, yeah, he wants to do it in you and he wants to do it through you, but it's not just for your benefit. It's for him to get the glory. It's for the benefit of the people around you, the people that you live with, the, 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 your neighbors. It's for the benefit of this community, your church family here. And we don't want to rob those things because when we place the seeds of our dreams on the shelf, it's not just us that no longer see the dream come to fruition and to see it grow. But it's every person in this room right now that doesn't get to benefit from the fruit of that tree of what God wanted to do. So we got to keep dreaming. The last one here, a surrendered dreamer doesn't see their dreams in competition with others' dreams. Since they're surrendered, they're under the unity of Christ. So when we're surrendered with our dreams, it's not in competition. If someone else had a dream of being a preacher, they don't have to knock Tamar off the path because it's like, well, if she's going to be where we're both racing against each other to see who's going to be the preacher first. No, there's a trust in God because God wants to use it for unity because everything that he puts in our hearts, we're not in competition with one another. God's going to use it for his unity and in his purpose and what he wants to do. I have so many thoughts right now. We're supposed to be wrapping up. But um, one, I wanted to say that, uh, like Pete was saying, these dreams are partnering with God for his purposes throughout the earth and that there is a generational aspect to it. We have friends that uh, are, are, we call them global impact workers, but missionary workers in, in Kyrgyzstan. And before they left... Um, I was processing with my friend because they have four young children. And uh, the part of, you know, the country that they were going to is, is more country, not city. Um, and they just, they were very aware of all the difficulties that they would be facing. And how, you know, things are built over time through relationship um, at an even much slower pace than in a lot of other places. But I remember saying, man, would you be willing to do it? What if you never were able to say that you led someone to the Lord? What if you lived there and suffered all of those things because God's dream was actually for your kids to go back to Kyrgyzstan when they got older, 
what if that's God's plan? Would you still do it if it was for that seed, for the love of that country and the people to be planted in the hearts of your kids? And one of the, I'm not going to, I promise, we read the Bible, okay, guys? And we use the Bible, but we don't, um, but I'm not going to have you read it right now, but in Matthew 26, 6 through 13, the woman with the alabaster jar that comes and breaks this special, expensive perfume at the feet of Jesus, and the disciples thought that it was wasteful. The followers of Jesus thought it was wasteful. When we have these dreams that God has given us and we contend for them, other people, other followers of Jesus will think we are being wasteful or impractical with our time, our energy, our, our uh, finances. But it is never a waste to pursue a dream that God has put in your heart. It is never a waste to pour out your life for something that other people might say is crazy or wasteful. It's never a waste. It is a holy and a sacred thing to pursue those things that God has put in your heart. Like Pete was saying, being a surrendered dreamer means that we do our part and then God does his There are things in our lives and dreams that we had when we were little that are just now. We're we're coming into something and we can see, kind of like where you go, you're starting to come around a corner and you can see the view around the corner. We're just now starting to see that. And the way we did it was being faithful with what we were given, being faithful with the little. That is stacking chairs and cleaning toilets It's doing the little things. I got so excited seeing the middle schoolers. You guys aren't really little, but um, I teach the middle school on Sundays at my church, not every Sunday. But I say, man, I would much rather be over there with the middle schoolers investing in the next generation than up here talking to the adults. I mean, you guys are awesome. I love you. (laughs) But there is something about investing and realizing that every dream God has given you is not just for you. He wants you to see the desires of your heart made real, but it is for your kids. If you don't have kids, it's for the next generation and maybe even beyond that. So you guys stand. Um, You know, I want you to think of, you know, on the front in here, it says the dreamer, but it's to write in there, I am a surrendered dreamer. And to kind of prophesy it over yourself is that is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a surrendered dreamer. I'm not going to just let those seeds sit on the shelf. I'm not going to let the soil of my heart and the, the soil of my mind and the soil of my spirit grow with weeds and have rocks. I'm going to till it. I'm going to make it fresh. I'm going to fertilize it to where the seeds can be planted. And I'm going to water it. I'm going to be faithful to continue to go in there and weed the garden and to continue watering it, trusting that in God's timing, it will grow. While we were worshiping, I I saw, um, I just went in the back and was just praying over you guys, and I just saw the disciples and uh, never thought of it this way, but, you know, Jesus went out and he went and he... um, he went in and, and he would share. And so people would come to the shore. They would gather around in a field to listen to him and to listen to him talk. And sometimes I think we can, we can decide we're going to follow Jesus, but our interpretation of the word follow 
is we think it means we're going to get our lawn chair or towel and we're going to go out to the shore and we're going to sit there and we're going to listen to his really good thoughts. We're going to listen to his neat stories. We're going to ponder his riddles and try to figure it out. What does that mean? And we can go home and talk about it. But that isn't what God, what Jesus called us to. He didn't call one single one of us in this room right now to be listeners only, to just go to the shore. He called you to be his disciple. In his disciples, he didn't just, he called people that were educated. He called people that were successful. He called people that were uh, white collar and blue collar. He called people that were, were good with speech and those that were terrible with speech. He called people that were eloquent in the way that they related to people. And he called people that had major temper problems. He called every single one of us. And uh, will you guys start playing? It makes their emotions feel better and they'll get goosebumps. <laughs> no, we're going to respond. And I know you guys have a prayer team. And I want to ask for the prayer team to not come up. Because I believe that this, what God wants to do is every person in, in here. It's not based off of whether or not you have a title. It's not based off of whether or not you have a position. Because God is calling each one of you. And he's saying, drop your nets. Drop what you're doing. Leave the booth that you're working at. I want you to come and follow me and be my disciple. Which means that we're following the dream he's placed in our heart. And we're not seeing ourselves as our role is just to sit on the shore and to hear a talk. But it's to rise in and believe. As we go into the song, we're going to sing that Waymaker song. That he is the Waymaker. We don't have to understand the way. But he has a way. And he will get us through it. And so, I don't know what it is in your life. All I know is what it is in my life that has silenced the dreams. Or that has caused me to think that it's God's not calling me. I can come and observe. I can come and listen. But he's gifted a couple anointed people. It's just Aaron who's going to do that. It's, it, it, it's just Danae. It's just Mark. It's just Val. It's just Sarah. It's just these different people that God's called. And my role is I come. No, he's saying, come, follow me. He's giving you a gift. He wants you to step out and use that gift. And I believe that even as Tamar's talking about middle school, that middle school isn't just for one person to teach, but there's 10 of you that rotate. That the children's ministry isn't just a couple people who say, yeah, I'm going to believe that kids are important. But you're going to remember what it was like to be a child yourself. To remember what it was to receive hope as a kid. Or what it was to be discouraged as a kid. And you say, I want to breathe life into this. You remember what it was like to be a worker and have a, one of your co-workers once say, can I pray with you? And you've never prayed with someone before. And all of a sudden you feel the peace, the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon you. God wants you to become that prayer. You remember what it was like when someone opened up the word and they explained something to you and your eyes were open. God is calling you to be the one that lives it to where you're now explaining it. So we're going to stop talking. We're going to step off. But will you just in whatever way, you might need to move out of your aisle. You might want to come here and kneel. I don't know what Holy Spirit's going to ask you to do. All I ask 
is that you have a moment with Holy Spirit and you think through what it is that's going on and that we surrender our lives and say, God, have your way in and through me. Use me. Use me the way you want to use me. Don't let me limit it. Don't let me hold it back. But God, use me in your way.